This is our ninth and final lesson on the gift of tongues, and I call this the Holy Spirit in our lives. I wanted to teach on how to receive the Holy Spirit, but this just seemed more appropriate. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into this. Uh, this kind of reviewing, we've spent eight weeks, which is really two months, teaching on the gift of tongues, the gift of the Holy Ghost, tongues and interpretation of tongues, the baptisms of the New Testament, uh, all these different facets of the Holy Ghost and how critical they are to us. We've also covered and we've come to understand why the devil would attack it so much. We know that there's probably no doctrine other than healing so hotly contested, debated, or resisted like the doctrine of tongues. And all I can understand or under, come to reason is that in America, we fancy ourselves so educated. We fancy ourselves so enlightened, really, that if we don't understand it, if we can't process it or diagnose it with our little American brain, then it must not be God. Even though he and his word looked down at little America and said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, but my thoughts are way higher than your thoughts and my ways are way higher than your ways. Why would we think we could be smarter than God and tell him, you know, this is silly, God, why would you do it this way? There's a couple of passages, if you read the New Testament, where Paul says, his explanation for some things is this, because it pleased the Father. That's the only explanation Paul had, because it pleased the Father. How come? Because daddy said so. Why are we praying tongues? Because it pleased the father. Why did he give it to us to work this way? Because it pleased the father. And it'll make sense to us more and more. I, I already totally understand it, but maybe not totally, but I get it enough to do it and teach it. But sometimes Americans, any folks that fancy themselves edumacated, they really hinder God because they want to understand everything, which is really nothing more than control. And we're not going to be able to control God. He is God. We obviously are not. So let's look into this. The Holy Spirit in our lives. The first section here is 13 things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at, this isn't everything Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. These are just 13 things. And I want to look at them in depth and understand why it's so needful that we flow with the Holy Spirit, why we pray in tongues so we can kind of get some of this working in our life. I want us to kind of focus at this because after these 13 things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our life, we're going to see five things we can do to hinder the Holy Ghost because many Christians, many churches are experts at hindering the Holy Spirit. We all are, to some degree, we want to become less an expert on that and more an expert on yielding to the Holy Spirit. So here are 13 things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. In preparing the disciples for his departure, Jesus taught them many things about the Holy Spirit. Here are 13. So not everything, but here are 13. Number one, Jesus said he is called the comforter. So this thing called the Holy Spirit is so critical because the first and foremost thing Jesus Christ calls him is the comforter. The King James Bible uh, capitalizes that so we know it's a proper pronoun. Um, the Greek word is parakletos or paraclete. And that was a very famous teaching back in the 90s that some of us still remember. But it's worth looking at again. Parakletos means called to one's aid. So the thing the Holy Ghost is called is our aid. He is called to our aid. And again, I'm, I'm covering this because so many churches are trying to have church without the Holy Spirit. So many Christians are trying to be Christians without the power of the Holy Spirit. So many folks are trying to go through life quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit, and basically taking the aid that God gave them and chucking it to the road and then wondering why their life stinks. 
Now, it's like, like the hearing, a hearing aid, if you have a hearing aid. A hearing aid, some folks have hearing aids because they can barely hear. They put the hearing aid in, and it cranks up everything and magnifies everything and enhances their limited ability, right? The Holy Ghost is that. He's not a hearing aid. He's a life aid because what life we have on our own is very limited, is very weak. It doesn't enjoy or, or, or receive everything. It's very limited. So we receive the Holy Spirit. He becomes a life aid and he magnifies everything. But some Christians take him and they chuck him thinking, I can hear this on my own. I can get this on my own. Churches are notorious for this. We don't want to be like that. Churches are notorious for saying, Holy Spirit, you can do this and you can do that. But that's all we believe you can do today. That's like telling a hearing aid. We believe you can amplify the highs and the lows, but nothing in between. Since when do we have a right to tell a hearing aid how to work? And since when do we have a right to tell the Holy Spirit what he can and cannot do in our life? So this word paraclete or parakletos is it means called to one's aid. Do you know the Holy Spirit has a calling? Jesus Christ called him and sent him. And he said, your job, Holy Spirit, is to help the church. You are the, that is your job now, to aid the church. It's different than it was in the Old Testament. Because he, the Lord Jesus told uh, the disciples, he said, he's with you and he shall be in you. Never before has the Holy Spirit dwelt in people like he's able to do after the cross of Calvary. So he has a, a new assignment because he's in the earth like he's never been before. So it's, it's a new thing that God has never done in the history of mankind. And we ought to be thankful that we get to enjoy it and, and look to use more of it and say, Holy Spirit, help me. And, and as an aid, you have to understand he doesn't want to just aid you in spiritual stuff. He wants to aid you on your job. He wants to aid you in raising your kids. He wants to help you in your budget. He wants to help you with anything you're frustrated with. He's called the spirit of grace. He'll put grace on anything. I remember uh, 12 years ago, I, I drove a 92 Honda, and this is before I wrecked it. I wrecked it in Aiken, South Carolina on a business trip. But I was trying to trade, uh, change the brakes on it, and they were not changing. And uh, I was trying to save money because I was a tightwad and didn't have any money, which is why you're a tightwad. So I was trying to change the brakes myself, and I remember getting so frustrated. I changed brakes a lot. I know how to change brakes. I know drum brakes. I know disc brakes. I know calipers you screw in, calipers you press in. I know calipers you got to bleed the brake line out. These guys weren't working any way possible, and I was hot. And I about lost my salvation over those brakes. And I was so frustrated, and the Holy Spirit just checked me and said, uh, reminding me of my, some of my own teaching at the time that if you're frustrated, it's because you've, you've walked off from the spirit of grace and you're trying to do all of it in your ability. So I just sat there. I've been trying to work on these front brakes for like two hours, literally. So frustrated. And I said, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me for, for quenching you and for not even asking you for help. Because you know, I'm an American. I don't need God's help to change brakes. Forgive me, Lord. You're my helper. Help me, Lord. I don't have a clue how to do this. And as God is my witness, I sat down and I looked at that caliper and I said, this must be the type that screws in. And I just took it and screwed the thing in. If, you, if those of you who know brakes, you know what I'm talking about. And just like that, I asked for his help and I fixed it in a minute. <laughs> Literally. Runk, 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 runk. How, how much better could our life be if we'd stop and ask the Holy Spirit, for help with everything, then trying to think, I'm a man-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I got this, I, this is my, that's ignorance. 
I remember also when I first moved to um, Indianapolis for Bible school, I got a job with a geotechnical firm. And my first job was to drive literally three hours south of Fort Wayne, Indiana from Indianapolis. Indianapolis is the dead center of Indiana. Fort Wayne is on the Illinois border. So I drive all the way to the Illinois border and then drive down another 45 minutes or an hour to collect two buckets of dirt just to drive all the way back. And so my boss, uh, Mr. Scott, said, I need dirt at the four-foot soil horizon because we have to do some compaction or whatever. And I said, what, you got a track hoe for me? No, you're taking shovels. I said, so you're really, I'm driving four hours one way to just dig two five-gallon buckets of dirt. And actually, long story, well, short story, I did it wrong the first time, so I had to go back. I got the wrong soil horizon. So I'm driving out there because I didn't clear, clarify this. I don't know what we're doing here. This is Indiana. It's all glacial geology. It's not karst. So I'm driving, and for four hours, I'm praying in tongues, saying, Lord, I don't know how in the world to dig a hole four feet deep. How in the world? I had no idea. It was not even imagining to me. And as I'm driving, the Holy Spirit shows me how to dig a hole four foot deep. It just comes to me. And I dug a hole four foot deep, and it didn't collapse on me. I dug stairs, too. And that was an eight-and-a-half-hour day for two five-gallon buckets worth of dirt. But the example is as petty as that, but I'm in Bible school. Why would I not learn to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. He's a paraclete. He's called to my aid. To aid what? Everything. Everything. Another example comes to me. I don't know why we're focusing on this so much because I, I got 13 more points I got to burn through and then two pages after that. And I've told this story a couple of times. Two years ago when we got into vertical caving and we were at Gary Dalt's pit because he has a 75, 80 foot pit on the back of his property, which is really good for dropping a rope and rappelling. And we hadn't, here. I hadn't really practiced climbing the rope. When you're 80 feet down in a hole, it's good to kind of know what you're doing. And I thought I had a good idea, but we get down to the bottom of this thing, and I've got this thing rigged up, and out of nowhere, a panic attack hits me. I've never had a panic attack ever in my life, and this is just two years ago. And I begin to tremble, and my heart begins to rush, and I begin to freak out, and my mind begins to say, you're going to have to be rescued. They're going to have to, how are we going to be rescued? Because we're both stuck in a pit. How, we're going to have to wait three or four hours till Miss Carrie gets concerned and marches up this hill to check on us. Does she even know where the pit is? Then they're going to have to bring in the cave rescue squad or the fire rescue squad. What if they have to medevac, helivac? What, if, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And this is all in like 15 seconds. And I'm going, whoa, this is what they call a panic attack. <laughs> And, but I'm really looking at my harness and all my gear and the ascenders and the gree-gree the and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I, I got to get out of this hole. And I, but I can't think straight enough because all of this is just rushing through me. And my emotions, I'm just seizing up. My, it's physically changing my body. And it came out of nowhere. And then I remember going, this is a panic attack. This is what people suffer. So I said, shut up in Jesus' name. Shut up. We are going to get out of this thing. Holy Ghost, help me. Help me. And then it instantly all stopped. And I, just like that, I remembered a book I read 14 years ago. And I could instantly see how the harness and the work should set up. And I said, I got this. And climbed out. But asking the Holy Spirit for help with a hobby. We really, really, we, I think we offend the Holy Spirit more than we realize. Because he's wanting to help us more than we give him credit for 
It's not just to pray in tongues. Thank God we can. It's not just to cast out devils. Thank God we can. It's not just to uh, understand scriptures. And thank God he helps us understand scriptures. It's called our aid in everything. Everything. And in that regard, we ought to focus on him more. If, if I can perhaps stretch your faith a little bit, did you know Jesus lives in heaven? He's not in the earth. He, where is he seated? At the right hand of God the Father. Who's in the earth then? The Holy Spirit. And so we forget, now though Jesus is the name above all names, we know he doesn't trump God the Father because he's submitted to God the Father, but the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Lord Jesus is, as God is, because it's the Spirit that proceedeth forth from God. So we ought to look more to the Holy Spirit than we do to help us, to help us with our attitudes, to help us manage our home, to help us manage our, our bodies and our appetites, to help us in our hobbies, to help us invent things. Because that's what this word means, called to one's aid. Not just when you're facing a pit of lions, not just when you're facing sickness, when you're facing a break change, which almost becomes a breakdown. <laughs> to, to help you climb out of a pit on a rope when you're literally at the end of your rope and having a mental breakdown. He wants to help in everything if we'd only let him. Christians really have a, a lot tougher life than they need to because we put the brakes on what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. How frustrated he must abide continuously in our life. Not that I'm perfect at this. These are, these, all these examples are old. I'm trying to think of anything recently where I said, Holy Spirit, help me. And I don't have anything that I'm thinking of right now. All right, let's go back to our curriculum here. Parakletos, called to, one, to one's aid, to counsel. Well, you, we could all use some counsel on everything. To advocate. So he's an advocate. He's a helper, the Greek says, an assistant, a succour. That means one that provides constant comfort. The Lord Jesus was very rude to Mary Magdalene when he raised from the dead. And there she is sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing at the garden, uh, 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 excuse me, at the tomb. And she's come to prepare his body and anoint it for, for burial and to check on it and all these things. And uh, as soon as she recognizes that it's Jesus, he doesn't say, thank you for caring for my body. He doesn't say, thank you for being the only one that came to check on me. He says, don't touch me. And the Greek says, do not cling to me. And you stop to think, how does a woman touch a man who she loved dearly, who she thought was dead, but is now alive? How would she touch him? She want a big old hug. No matter what culture you're from, hugs are hugs. And the very first thing Jesus says is, do not cling to me. And he goes on to say in John's gospel, for I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Well, what does that mean? Who does he send back when he ascends to the father? Who is the comforter? He was preparing her to no longer, in a sense, now this is gonna sound controversial, to no longer cling to Jesus, but the comforter who's the same but of another kind. Because he, he is God, but he's not Jesus. He's the Holy Spirit. And in John's gospel, Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, which the Greek means another of the same kind. So it's different, but it's the exact same flavor. So we cry out to Jesus and he tells the Holy Spirit to comfort us. That's a little bit of a stretch in our theology, 
But that's when you look at the scriptures, that's what the scriptures say. Now, if you want to just say it's Jesus, thank God, thank you, Jesus, because it's the spirit of Christ that is the Holy Spirit. It's like, how do you distinguish between uh, water vapor, water, and ice? It's all the same. It just does different things. But it's still got the same formula, H2O. It's still spelled G-O-D, whether it's the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter, our succor. He, him, he that gives us comfort and peace when we're going through anything, whether it's a, a uh, mental breakdown over a break change, whether it's frustration over digging a hole, whether it's, it's uh, being at the end of a rope and not being able to get out of it because you can't process it. He wants to bring peace to all of this. He has the answer to anything we're facing. If we'd only stop and ask him for help and then give him time to respond. He's our answer to everything. And if we would learn to trust him more and to invoke his help in our life more, we go through a lot less heartache. We go through a lot less bumpy roads and rough lives if we'd only learn to ask the helper for help. Amen. Men are generally the worst at this because I got this. I can do this. Honey, do you need help? No, I don't. I got this. Five bloody knuckles, two holes in the wall, and a busted hubcap later. Honey, could you come help me? <laughs> Amen. He is the first and foremost help Jesus Christ gives us. Yes, there's the word of God, but you got to think the early church didn't have the New Testament. They had the Holy Ghost. And so he is the first and foremost help we're given, and we've got to learn to trust him. He is a person, and he's just as much God as God is God. And if we're ashamed of him, He'll be ashamed of us. If we're ashamed of him, we're not ever going to get the help. If we, don't, if we have too much pride, we're never going to ask him for help to change our lives. Amen. Number two, Jesus said he will abide with us forever. So we're looking at 13 things Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. He said he'll abide with you forever. Uh, so if that's the case, we've got to get used to his presence and learn to cooperate with him because he isn't going anywhere. One thing about the Holy Spirit, he can make your life miserable. We'll get to that in a minute. He's called the great convictor. When you walk outside the will of God, he makes sure you know it. He just, as all of a sudden, he just like turns against you and rubs you the wrong way. And you'll be miserable living in your sin, miserable in your, even your petty attitude. He just makes sure he just pets you the wrong way. <laughs> and you're just miserable because the Holy Spirit's with you forever and you can't get rid of him. He's with you always, and he just lets you, he, you know you're dumb anyway. You know you're wrong. You don't need the Holy Spirit, but he just, he's just there just to remind you. And in that regard, I tactfully, with all honor, say he is a great nag. And thank God for that nag, because some of us wouldn't come back because it was the right thing to do. We come back because we're tired of being nagged. We're tired of being harassed. We're tired of being miserable. Anybody ever been there back, not tonight, today, because you're all in the will of God, but years ago when you were coming back to Christ from that drug addiction and that, you know, that bar, wherever you, you just said, I'm wretched. I'm disgusting. I am like the prodigal. I smell like pig poop and I'm eating pig poop. And you know what? It's only mental retardation and pure stubborn stupidity that keeps me in pig poop. I'm going home. Oh, we've all been there. And if we are, haven't been, we might be there in the future. And that was the Holy Ghost just telling you, don't have to eat here. Look at you. How dumb is this, man? You are eating poop. Look at you eat poop. Look at you eat poop. Look at you eat poop. You don't have to eat poop. Dad has steaks. Dad has bacon. 
Here, the bacon eats better than you. That's the Holy Ghost. He abides with us forever. He makes sure you're miserable in your sin. And that's why I don't mind praying that you get more miserable. Whatever it takes to come back. Some people have to hit bottom, and some folks just haven't yet. I don't want to hit bottom. I want to take a stumble and start reaching out. Because I don't know what's at the bottom of that pit. I don't want to find out. I want to be quick to repent and get things right. We must get used to his presence and learn to cooperate with him because he isn't going anywhere. If you're born again, he lives in you. And I pray you're miserable in your sin. I pray the Holy Ghost just harass you. Back in the 70s, they called him the hound of heaven because he would hound you and hound you and hound you. Amen. They even wrote songs about it. Number three, he's called the spirit of truth. He cannot lie. That's why we can trust him. He is the spirit of truth, and there is no lying in him, unlike the devil, who is nothing but a liar. He therefore can, uh, he, he therefore can be wholly relied upon and trusted. Why? Because he's truth. You can trust his leadings. You can trust his promptings. You know who you can't trust? Your boyfriend. You know who you can't trust? Your girlfriend. You know who you can't trust? Your heart. You know who you can't trust? Facebook. You know who you can't trust? The internet. You know who you can't trust? Anybody living in the world outside of God. You can't trust them. Not at all. You know who you can't trust? The Holy Spirit of truth. Number four, he dwells in us. We, need, we don't need to look for external direction or guidance if our helper dwells within us. If the help's on the inside, look on the inside. I remember one time years ago, we were doing door-to-door evangelism in Knoxville, and I, we were witnessing to a guy, and he told us some story about how he was praying, and he specifically said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, let that clock fall off the wall. And he said, the clock fell off the wall. Why would you want to be led by falling clocks? I mean, seriously, who thinks of that? Let, let a clock fall off the wall. Well, what if you didn't have a clock? What if the rooster that you had hanging on the wall fell off the wall? What does that mean? Cock-a-doodle no? I mean, seriously. But Christians get so goofy praying for signs and fleeces and confirmation and open doors and closed doors. Christians are really bad about praying for open doors and closed doors. The Holy Spirit's on the inside. He's not an open door. He's not a closed door. He's on the inside. If he says, go, you go, and you just run through the door. If you're standing in front of an open door and he says, you don't go, you don't go through the open door. So it's very, very carnal and very, very unbiblical to walk by open doors and closed doors. Paul said, there was open unto me a great window of opportunity, but with it came much opposition. All right, so if you're an American Christian, what are you led by, the window of opportunity or the much opposition standing in it? He lives in us, therefore that's how we're led by the inward witness, not the outward manifestation, but the inward witness. Point five, he is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is tasked with teaching us what Jesus Christ deems important and needful for us at that moment. External things are not spiritual educators in the school of God. External things are not spiritual educators in the things of God. I, I, it grieves me to hear folks say, well, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord put this on me to teach me something. No, if the Lord's teaching you something, it's by the Holy Spirit. If the Lord put cancer on you to teach you something, what was he trying to perfect in the life of the Buddhist when he got cancer? 
If the, if the Lord broke your leg to teach you something, what did the football player learn from God, the, the homosexual football player, when he broke his leg? It doesn't make any sense. The Holy Spirit who lives within us is our teacher. And so we look for the inward promptings, the revelations, the illuminations. Now, you can walk through hell on earth and you can walk through circumstances and the Holy Spirit teach you how to use the word. Because Jesus said of him that he'll receive of me everything I say, he'll hear it and give it to you. What's Jesus talking? The word. So then the word is also our other educator. And the word will speak to you about circumstances and situations. But we cannot hold this ignorant doctrine that says, God put me through something to teach me. Well, hurry up and learn it and get out of it. That's, that's, not, that's not sound. You can learn things through circumstances and situations, but the learning is actually going to come from the word. You're going to see things in light of the word, not in light of a broken leg. Amen. I think we understand that. Six, he's our reminder. Thank God. Thankfully, he will remind us of everything that the Lord has seen fit to teach us through the years. He may even harass us at times. As a preacher, I can't tell you how many times he reminds me of my own sermons. Remember how you taught that? Yeah. Nothing else, Lord? That's all he needs to say. Remember how you taught that? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Shut up and do it. That's what he's telling me. Just do it. You got to be first partaker of your own fruit, you know? Don't just tell people to do it. Do it yourself. Yes, Lord. He's a reminder. And thank God because we're forgetful. Not that we're claiming that, but our brain is finite. That's why I joke about I have a ginger, I have a Manda, I have a cell phone, I have an iPad, I have a Siri, I have a computer, and I have lots of notepads, and I write everything down. And I still forget. And my wife says, well, I'm doing, uh, are you going with us to this tomorrow night? I said, what? I, you're doing what? She said, oh, like Monday. I've got jail tonight. Um, you do? Yeah, I told you that. When? Three or four times since yesterday? Sorry, totally missed that. If I heard it, I didn't hear it, forgot it. The Holy Ghost is our reminder though. It'd be a good thing to pray. The Holy Spirit, remind me. Help me remember stuff. And I think hopefully we all have testimonies where we said, Holy Spirit, help me find this. Help me remember this. What did I do with that? And he will remind you. He will help you. Uh, I've got several testimonies along those lines, and I've learned to trust him to do that. Thankfully, he'll remind us of everything our Lord has seen fit to teach us through the years. He may even harass us at times. That is also one of the reasons why coming to church is dangerous, because you learn stuff that you're then accountable for and responsible to repeat. Amen. Number seven, Jesus left us in order to give us the Holy Spirit. So that's a critical thing. That lets us know how important this is. And maybe I could rewrite this curriculum to make that number one. Jesus Christ told his disciples, it is so much better for you that I leave you. In a sense, I'm going to abandon you. But then he said, but I will not leave you orphans. Uh, the Greek word is orphanous. I will not leave you comfortless. In the King James, the Greek word is orphanos or orphan. I'll send you a comforter. He said, I've got to leave you. I've got to abandon you because if I don't, you don't get this Holy Spirit. Because we know, according to the scriptures, when Jesus was in the earth, he had the spirit without measure. He had all of the Holy Spirit. So he had to leave so that he could then redistribute the spirit to every one of us as members in particular. And now the whole body of Christ worldwide has the spirit without measure. Or in that measure, it makes up the whole body. But when Jesus Christ was in the earth, he was the body. He had all the spirit. He had to leave us so we could have this. That's how critical it is. Don't you know he wanted to stay here to be with his disciples, to kind of help us? But he had to trust the Father. I leave, you get the Holy Spirit, I can do more good for you. I can work this out through you. 
We're just looking at 13 things Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Jesus declared his departure from the earth was necessary and expedient for us. Number eight, he is the great convictor. I love this. This word also means refuter. Anytime you come up with an excuse, he'll refute it. (laughs) He loves to debate because he always wins. He truthfully doesn't debate. He just shuts people up. He is the great convictor. The word is convince, but our modern English, we don't get what convince is. You've got me convinced. Well, it doesn't matter whether you are or not. If he's right, he's right and you're wrong. But we understand the English words better, refute. He will refute you. Anytime you got an excuse, he'll say, you can't do this? Then I guess I can't either. I thought with Christ, all things are possible. The reason we think it's impossible is because we're not asking him to be our aid. You have to get to a place in Christ where you trust the Holy Spirit that no matter where he throws you, if he throws you there, I can do this. He hasn't called me here to fail. The problem is for us, we don't know the Holy Spirit like we should. Brother Hagen, one of the things he said when I was a teenager, uh, 19 and 20, that stuck with me. He said, the Holy Spirit is more real to me than even my wife. And I heard that and I said, well, I don't have a wife yet. So I would like to pray that because I want that to be the case. So I began to pray 20, 21 years old, 19, 20, 21. Holy Spirit, I thank you and declare you're more real to me than even my own flesh even my own clothing. Be more real to me. Be a person that's just as real to me than anything else that's real to me. Because I wanted that. And I think that's, that's definitely someplace we all need to get. That uh, no matter what our excuse is, he'll refute it and say, I know you're making an excuse, but I can help you do this. You can make an excuse or he can make a way. You can make an excuse or he can make you able. But you can't have it both ways. He is the great exposer. Boy, the Holy Spirit loves to expose sin. Uh, This is what the Greek marriage means. He's the admonisher. He will admonish you. And he's the chastener. He will chasten after you. Not just chase you, but when he gets a hold of you, he will spank you. This is one of the reasons why more and more churches are drying up the Holy Spirit. Some churches, even big churches, Holy Ghost Word of Faith churches have said, don't do too much worship because it brings in the Holy Spirit too heavily and people get convicted. I heard that taught myself with my own ears in a meeting I was at about four years ago, three years ago. Nobody I'd run with, thank God, not my pastor. That's why churches are drying this up because one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to refute the excuses to bring things to light and to convict people. And when he's in a church service, he's going to convict people. And it doesn't offend me when people come to our church once and never come back because it was the Holy Spirit at the river of Gideon proving the army. And they, folks have walked out of here and said, boy, that's that's unpleasant in there because God was in here. He is light. He will always bring light wherever he is present. Those who flirt with darkness will be very uncomfortable by his presence. Those who flirt with darkness will be very uncomfortable in the presence of God because God is not dark. He is light. And there's no shadow, there's not even a shadow in him. Even a shadow has light. But the Bible says there's, no, there's not even a shadow in Christ. He is pure light. Amen. Let's see, I gotta get to moving here. I should have made this just one curriculum. 
He is our guide. This means a teacher of the ignorant and the inexperienced, one who knows the way. Thank God the Holy Ghost is a teacher of the ignorant and inexperienced. Anybody here ignorant? Anybody here inexperienced in a thing or two? Then you qualify. I've got a news for you. You need the Holy Spirit. Why would a church hinder the Holy Spirit? Any church is full of ignorance and inexperience. You need the Holy Spirit. Wherever there is mental ignorance, there needs to be some Holy Spirit. Wherever there is inexperience, there ought to be a voice crying out for help. Lord, I've never navigated these waters before. Help me. Lord, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Help me. Does he not have the ability to make you able? Can the anointing not come upon you and make you able to change brakes or dig a hole or anything? Sure he does. It's the Holy Spirit. We would do well to follow the one who knows the way. Amen. Number 10, he is submitted to Jesus. If we follow his lead, we will also submit to Jesus. Number 11, Jesus said he shows us things to come. Jesus clearly taught that the Holy Spirit is tasked with showing us the future. This won't happen every day, but it is promised to happen. He's not going to reveal the future to us every day, but he will show us things to come. I don't think we want to know the future every day. I I think it would freak us out and we'd become a psychic and a weirdo. But on occasion, when necessary, as he deems important, he'll show us things to come. And that's awesome. We need that. Number 12, he glorifies Jesus. The workings and manifestations of the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. For this reason alone, we should be very eager to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we glorify Jesus. Years ago, I visited a church at a men's conference. I've told this story a couple times before. Huge church. The governor of their state attended church there, and he taught this Sunday, uh, this uh, Friday morning session on 2 Kings. It was a powerful session. He gave an altar call, and I felt the tug of the Holy Spirit to go down and get born again. I'd never experienced that before. But I was a youth leader at the time, spirit-filled, and I said to myself, if I didn't know that I know that I know that I know that I was born again and right with God, I'd go down there. And it was uh, 30 or 40 men got born again. There's about 3,000 men there, and 30 or 40 came down front at the governor, the governor of the state, at his preaching. And I'd never felt that move of the Holy Spirit. I was like that before and, and remembered it or recognized it. But at the same time, this church being a denominational church, they didn't believe in tongues or the Holy Ghost in that regard. And after being there for about 36 hours of conferences, you know, it was like a Friday night, then two Saturday sessions, and I drove home to Knoxville. I remember sitting there after the second session, and I said to myself, if I stayed here a month, I wouldn't pray in tongues anymore. It would just leach it out of me. It would just suck it out of me. So driving on the way home, I could feel this blah on me. I could tell I wasn't right. And so I'm coming up 75 in this truck, rental truck. I've been working in, in uh, uh, an adjacent state. And, uh, and so I said, Lord, what's wrong with me? I can feel blah. There's a blah. What is, what is this on me? And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, he said, you recognize that that church will not let my Holy Spirit move as I want to. And for this reason, they will not go any further in me. And he basically showed me the pastor had basically in his heart declared, we don't need that to do church. And the Lord took me to Job 38, and he said, heretofore have you come and no further, here shall your proud waves be stayed. And I saw that with this great pastor, he had declared in his heart, he did not need the movings of the Holy Spirit as we understand them. He had written them off, and for that reason, he had developed that error in that church, and it was affecting me. 
And so I learned a great deal and I began to shout and rejoice and break this junk off me and prayed in tongues the next two hours home just to do it and rejoice before the Lord. We have to make sure that we, we never quench the Holy Spirit because he will allow us to glorify Jesus. In essence, the Lord Jesus was telling me he was not being glorified in that church, in that area. If the Lord's telling off on one of his preachers and telling me where the man's wrong, Jesus isn't glorified. Jesus is irritated. We have to make sure we never quench the Holy Spirit. Let me keep going here because the last points are very critical. Verse 13, he is our power source. Consider that Jesus forbid these faithful disciples in Acts 1 from going anywhere or doing anything until they had received the power source for their life and ministry. It would be arrogant to think we can make it today without the same power. Now listen, folks, just because we're a spirit-filled church and most of us, if not all of us, are born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost does not mean we're taking full advantage of the power source. Uh, the guys for Christmas bought me a Husqvarna leaf blower, and I just realized yesterday or two days ago when I took it out of my truck, it's a backpack leaf blower, which is even more awesomer. <laughs> but it does me no good in a box. And I told Josh, I said, I'm upset because we already blew all my leaves away. I said, but I'm going to find more leaves. I'm going to find a hole in a tree and blow the squirrels out of it. <laughs> so I'm going to stick it in there, boom, just shoot them out the top. It does me no good if I don't use it. Same with the Holy Ghost. All right, look at next section. Five ways we hinder the Holy Spirit. It should be obvious that the Holy Spirit wants to operate and function in the life of every believer. Should be plain, plainly obvious now. If the Bible calls us co-labors together with Christ, then we should be working with him, not against him. However, God's people have a long-standing reputation for limiting and hindering him. Amen. Let's look at this verse here. Psalm 78, 40 and 41. How often did they provoke, rebel against, act refractory, meaning impossible to manage, stubbornly disobedient, difficult to work with? God says that about his people. My people are difficult to work with. Anybody had an employee that was difficult to work with or your kids were ever that way? Bang your head against the wall because you can't bang on their head. But God says that about his people. They provoked him and were difficult to work with in the wilderness, and they grieved him. Notice the Hebrew says to hurt God, to cause pain, to vex, to displease. You know, there's things we do that hurt the heart of God. They don't physically hurt him. You can't physically touch God, but you can grieve his heart. What parent hasn't been hurt by their children? Not, not physically, but emotionally. Amen. And they grieved him in the desert. Yes, they turned back and tempted God and they limited. They set marks or limits around what God could do. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They said, Lord, you can do this and you can do this, but you can't do that. Which is what the modern church does. Holy Spirit, we want you to bless our worship because we're really good at our guitar, but you can't move with the gift of tongues and you can't move with the gifts of healing. You can't move with word knowledge, word of wisdom. And I don't want to see any angels because that's going to freak me out. And I definitely don't want to have to have a word of knowledge to rebuke people because that just is not going to grow my mega super duper awesome ministry. They set limits. Even the New Testament, the Bible warns us that as Christians, we can severely hinder the work of God. Consider the following verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, quench not extinguish not, suppress not, stifle not the spirit. If he says don't do it, means we can. We've all have. Amen. Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not, do not make sorrowful, do not offend, do not affect with sadness the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Well, if he tells us not to, it means we can and we all have. We've all grieved the Holy Spirit. We've all offended him. 
Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate, despise, to thwart the efficacy, to reject, to refuse the grace of God. That is the spirit of grace. I don't frustrate the spirit of grace. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And well, if he says don't do it, it means we can and we all have frustrated God. Hebrews 10.29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith we is sanctified and the holy thing, unholy thing and hath done despite to insult the spirit of grace. We can insult God. We can insult him by saying, I don't need your help. I don't need your grace. I don't need your ability. I got this. We ought to be asking God for help in everything we do. We need to be mindful that God's always going to ask us to do things we cannot do. Because when he asks us to do things we cannot do, we must have his help. He's not going to keep you in your comfort zone. All the things that that the Lord has asked me to do around here over the years is pastoring and taking our church. I've never done any of them before. And I still cry out for help. Lord, I need you to help me write this curriculum. Lord, I need your help to write this VBS play. Lord, I need your help to make this video. Lord, I want to write another song. I need you to breathe on me and grace me to write this song. Lord, I need you to help me get better at my trumpet because I'm not good enough at my trumpet. Lord, I need your help preaching because I can't preach without you. If we ever think we have this in our natural ability, we're insulting God. Because if we could do it in our natural ability, we don't need God. And this thing isn't set up to be God-free. Many churches have mastered church without God. We are not going to be one of them. Amen. Mark 3, 29 and 30. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost to speak reproachfully, to rail at and revile has never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit. He that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? To rail at. Get off me, Holy Spirit. Quit bothering me. Quit harassing me. Quit convicting me. Quit trying to move in my life to revile. I hate you, Holy Spirit. Get out of my life. Quit making me so miserable. Quit nagging me. Jesus said, they're in danger of damnation. The Holy Spirit's the only help you got. If you revile it and hate it, what are you going to do? Now here they were saying that Jesus cast out devils because he had a devil. They were blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit. It's clearly a work of the Holy Spirit. But how many folks do the same thing with the other works of the Holy Spirit? Not just casting out devils, but healing the sick, praying in tongues, conviction. We have a massive movement in the body of Christ today saying anybody that preaches conviction is against God. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. That whole movement is in in danger of damnation because they're accounting the work of the Holy Spirit as heresy. You're hopeless in that regard. So then we as Christians are capable of doing five things to hinder and limit the Holy Spirit of God. Quench, grieve, frustrate, despise, and blaspheme. Only spiritual suicide or complete ignorance would permit someone to commit these acts against the helper who proceeds from the Father. After these lessons, we can no longer claim ignorance. And now let me also say this. Every one of us is guilty of quenching the spirit, grieving the spirit, frustrating the spirit. You want to know how you, when you're frustrating the spirit? When you're frustrated. Especially with something God's asked you to do. If you're frustrated with something God's tasked you with to do, you have frustrated him. You're getting to feel some of it back on you. So if you were to stop and say, all right, Holy Spirit, help me. Your frustration would leave because his frustration would leave. And he'd be able to have an outlet in your life. 
to think of frustration this way, the Holy Spirit's wanting to flow and you're stopping him. So all that energy and momentum's building up and it's frustrating him because he wants to go this direction, but you won't let him because I can do this on my own. So when you resist him, he resists you. Just call it mutual frustration. The second you get frustrated, it may be worth pausing and realize I'm probably frustrating God right now. Let me stop and say, Lord, help me. Whether it's your marriage, your children, your career, your finances, whatever. Let the Holy Spirit help you. We're all good at quenching, grieving, frustrating, despising, and even blaspheming. We've all probably said, Holy Spirit, leave me alone at some point. Hopefully not recently, but we've all done it. What shall we do? We are all guilty of the previous five sins against the Holy Spirit. Now remember, you're sinning against God when you do those things. Now like the crowd gathered at the day of Pentecost, we must ask, what shall we do? Let us follow Peter's first sermon as a spirit-filled tongue talker and see what he told them to do. Acts chapter 2, 33 through 40, basically. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. Notice the gift of the Holy Ghost is something you can see and hear. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise of the Holy Ghost is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now watch what Luke adds to this sermon. He says, and with many other words did Peter testify and exhort. Here is the summation of that great Pentecost Day sermon. This is what Peter was saying. He was saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Notice the heart, the Holy Ghost through Luke is saying, the heart of the sermon that day was save yourself from this wicked generation. But a bulk of that sermon was get the Holy Ghost. Get the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost said the heart of the message was save yourself. That lets us know one of the best ways to save yourself is to flow with the Holy Ghost. Because of everything we said in the first part of the lesson, 13 things. He receives from the Holy Spirit. He glor- excuse me, Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He, he magnifies Jesus. He's submitted to Jesus. He's our helper. He's our aid. He's our convictor. The, without the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be saved. Without him working in your life, you're not going to stay saved. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Peter's sermon had four action items. Here we go. Repent. Number one, have you repented of your old sinful lifestyle? If you're still living in it, you've not repented. You're in danger. Number two, be water baptized. Have you been water baptized in obedience to Jesus Christ? Nothing wrong with getting dunked again if you want to. Number three, receive the gift and the promise of the Holy Ghost, which can be both seen and heard. Have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, which can be both seen and heard? You prayed in tongues lately? Number four, save yourself from this untoward generation. Are you living a lifestyle that declares, I don't want to perish with this wicked generation? When you, when you live a life clean and holy, you live a life that says, Jesus, I'm looking forward to you coming back any day now. But when you live outside the will of God, you're saying, Jesus, I hope you never come. And it will be those kind of people that totally miss the rapture. I believe with all my heart, Christians, spirit-filled, totally miss the rapture, living in sin. May even mock God, blaspheme the Holy Ghost and go to hell. Amen. Are you missing any of these? If so, which one? What will you do to solidify all four of these commandments? 
If you like the Holy Spirit in this measure, simply ask for him. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, uh, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Just ask for the Holy Spirit and he'll, he'll give them to you. May God help each of us to obey his word. Father, I thank you for this curriculum. I thank you, Father, for allowing us to teach on the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being real in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being big, for doing all those things Jesus said you would do. Forgive us for frustrating you. Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to yield to the Holy Spirit and have a better life. In Jesus' name, amen.